come to read your word. We come to just just talk about your word and and to uh, be led by your spirit in what you would have for us. God, be with us today as we look at the last part of Acts 17. Be with us today also, God, as we go into service and uh, we get to hear your word, uh, what you've given Brother Eddie to preach to us. We ask that you'd be with our hearts today as we're ready to receive what you have. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Acts 17. Somebody fill me in on the context. What's happening? What's happening in Acts 17? Somebody, okay, go ahead. I was going to say somebody besides Dean. You go ahead. Paul's going from place to place preaching. In Acts 17, yes. And where does he end up? The speech that we're going to talk about is in what city? Athens. 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 What's special about Athens? Anybody know? We kind of talked about it last week. Huh? Lots of idols. Lots of idols. Some ancient writers say more than 70,000 in the city at one time. 70,000 idols. Gods to, you know, Zeus, Apollo, Meter, Dionysus, Hera, you just name them. It's gods for everything. And so, huh? Oh, Jason's in. Yeah, Jason is he's not one of the guys. He's one of the guys that got he gets his butt whipped in the in the he gets beaten fined. But um it, finally Paul gets to Athens. As far as we know, this is like we said last week, this is the first time Paul has been to Athens. As far as we know, this is the first time a Christian has been to Athens to come and preach the gospel. Um so Paul is preaching to a bunch of people that have never heard anything about the gospel at all. They've never heard, you know, where does Paul usually go when he hits a city? Synagogue. He goes to the synagogue. Why does he go to the synagogue? So he can tell the Jews about Jesus. Yes. And when he when he goes to tell the Jews about Jesus, what does he usually start with? You don't have to know exactly. Just tell me round about. Testament information. He starts with the Old Testament, the prophets, the Messiah that they already know is coming. And, you know, he's not going to do that here because... They don't know anything about the Old Testament. They probably don't know anything about Moses or about... These are kind of Greek philosophy guys. These are guys steeped in... in um Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and, and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of where they're thinking, where their worldview comes from. How many of y'all were not here last week? So, okay, not too many. All right, I was going to go back through, but um, it, it's on the website. You can listen to it. Um, first, he starts off this in verse 22. We, we went through, I think we got to verse 26 or 25. So I want to back up just a minute and start. This is the sermon. Paul is, he's on what's called the Areopagus, which is the place where the, the big time elite philosophers meet. Uh, it's called Mars Hill. Remember why it's called Mars Hill? In this text, it's actually in Greek, it's Areopagus both times. It's called Areopagus once, it's called Mars Hill second time. Why? Is it Mars is the god of war? Yes. Areopagus means the hill of Ares, which is Ares is the Greek god of war. Well, in Latin, when they translated the scriptures from Greek to Latin, they used the Roman god instead of the Greek god, and Mars is the Greek god, uh, the Roman god of war. So instead of calling it the hill of Ares, Areopagus, they called it Mars Hill. And that's the god, Mars is the god of the Roman god of war. Yes, Ares is the Greek god of war, and so that's where that comes from. But it's it's this hill, Areopagus was um, Mars Hill was uh, it, it was where the you can just imagine 
the big name philosophers laying around on their little couches eating grapes or whatever it is that they did. And people would, huh? Being fan, maybe. I kind of get that picture in my mind. I don't know if they were or not, but you kind of get that picture in your mind. They're laying around, and that's where the ideas of the day, the philosophy, the speakers, the the rhetoricians, rhetoric was a, a big thing back then. You know, people were trained in rhetoric, and. Um, that's where all that took place, and they were. Uh, Paul is on a try in, on trial here, but it's not for his life. He's not going to go to jail. It's not a legal trial. He, they're just listening to his his uh, his, his ideas, his his what they think is just a new philosophy. Of course, he's going to preach the gospel, and he starts off. How does he start off saying, "I know you're very religious, and why? Because what's the statue that he found that he references to an unknown God." To the unknown God. That's important. They were covering all the bases. They were covering all the bases. We talked about it last week. It says, let, let me just go back through it and start like, because some of y'all didn't hear it last week. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Not a rebuke. Not, uh, it was not a... Um, an insult. He was just saying, you're very religious, you're very spiritual. He said, the reason I know that is because for as I passed by and behold your, beheld your devotions, devotions there is idols. It's your objects of worship is what it, what it means. And so it's not just observing their prayers or something like that, what you might think a devotion is. He's talking about, I observe all these statues y'all got around here. And he says, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare to you. So he's kind of connecting with them, saying, you guys have a God that you don't know who he is. I'm going to tell you who he is. Okay, he's going to let them know. He's going he's gonna to tell them, you know, I'm going to explain to you who this unknown God is. Uh, now, he's not, and I said a lot of this last week. I just kind of covered my bases before we go into the discussion. Uh, he's not talking about a new God that he's adding to their, he's not saying, I'm going to introduce you to the unknown God so you can add him to all your other gods. His sermon is going to make clear that there's only one God, and this God's everything. He created everything. He's in charge of everything, and all you guys are, you know, you're worshiping idols. You know, it, I said last week that it, in this time, each God had his own little sphere of influence. You know, you go on a sea trip, you pray to Poseidon. If you go to war, you pray to Ares. If you go, you know, each little each little God had their own thing. And so they had this statue, which was the, the idol to the unknown God, just in case they miss one. He said, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to show you here this uh, this God that you don't know. And the reality is he's going to bounce off of this two or three times that you don't know this God. You don't know the true God. You don't know the God. Uh, he's going to use it kind of as a springboard. Uh, he's going to use it to uh, to show them the true God, a bridge to, to show them who they are. And so what I want to do is verses 24 through 31. That's his sermon. Now, it's just like the cliff notes. I mean, it takes us 30 seconds to read it. It probably, you know, Paul pre probably preached a lot more than this. But um, I want to take each one of these statements and talk about what it means. It, what he's doing is describing who God is. And so I want to talk about what it means as Paul's preaching it to these people who'd never heard such a thing. I want to talk about what it means to us as we're here and we know this God that he's talking about. Um, in verse 22, 
or verse 24, it says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He's saying that God is all-powerful, creator of all. He made all things. He made heaven and earth. Uh, and he, uh, he does not dwell in temples. Now, what should that, what should that, Realization that God is Lord of all, He's in charge of all, He made the heavens and the earth, creator of all. What should that ignite in you today as people who know this God, who know the true God? What should that cause in your heart to understand that God is Lord of all, creator of all, in control of all? Absolutely. That He's perfect. I mean, He's He's over everything. He, yes, he's very, he's sovereign. Uh, one, there's one uh, theologian said that there is not one rogue molecule in the universe. God is absolutely in control of all things. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. Now, answer this question for me. And I believe that too. You're right. God is in control and he's sovereign even over the bad things? Yes. So God allows bad things to happen in our world. Yes. For why? Yeah, for his glory. Did it glorify God? A lot of stuff went on last week. Did all that glorify God? We live in a sinful world. Yes, we do. And when things that happen like it did last week, it's like sin a bank. Yes, it does. But. But. When you see those officers come together like they did, there had to be some glory there somewhere from God. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that at all. I agree. But God has never taken away our free will. You know, we, good or bad, we, we have a gift of free will. What we do with that free will glorifies God or doesn't glorify Him by our actions. He is glorious. We are sinful. Our hearts, as we've heard a million times, are desperately mm-hmm. wicked. But that doesn't make Him less in less control. He allows things to happen by allowing us to have free will. Okay. Explain how He can be in control. Can we subvert His plan? Absolutely not. No. Okay. So I agree when you say free will, we do have a choice. The guy had a choice whether he was going to shoot somebody or not. It wasn't nobody making him do nothing. God don't make people sin, don't tempt people sin, don't do that. But we do know that God is in control of all things. Let me ask you two questions. There's two questions I always ask. And as as a hospital chaplain, I have to deal with these questions every day. So I'm trying to put them to you because probably in the near future when you go to work, you're going to have to deal with these questions as well, especially now that these things are going on. Did God know that it was going to happen before it happened? You can't say that he didn't. There's no way biblically you can say that he didn't know. He's all-knowing. Now, second question, is God powerful enough to have stopped it from happening? Absolutely. I agree. You can't say that he's not. So therefore, if he knew it was going to happen, and he is powerful enough to have stopped it from happening, we have to assume that he allowed it to happen for a good 
purpose. We don't know what that is. I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess as to what that is because we can't even, we can't see it. We don't know his purpose. We don't know his plan. But he is in control. The Lord of heaven and earth. We're going to see in this text here that it says that God even, um, well, let me just read it. It says, uh, God made the world all things in it. In verse 25, neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. And it says, verse 26, and he made of one blood all nations of men. He said he made them to dwell on the face of the earth. And he determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He determined when you would live and he determined where you would live. And so... There is absolutely nothing. There's no, you know, if tornado hits my house tomorrow, uh, I'll grieve just like any normal person would. I'll ask questions just like any normal person would. I'll probably say, why did you let this happen to me, God? Just like any normal person would. But the biblical truth is still a reality that God is sovereign over all things. God is in control. That means he allowed it for a purpose. Now, now that we've we've established that, and I don't think you can come to any other conclusion, if God knew it was going to happen, and God's powerful enough to have stopped it, he must have allowed it for a purpose. Uh, I'm not saying he caused it or he put, you know, he made dude do it. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying he allowed it to happen. Um, but we, we as a people, and I'm not saying the church, we as a nation... We've taken God out of the schools. Oh, yeah. Out of the government. We've asked him to leave. We de- saying we deserve some judgment. Exactly. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, even beyond all that, you know, 5,000 babies a day. You know, I mean... You, you, I mean, look at what that woman did in Memphis with her four little ones. Yeah. That broke my heart as a mother. I can imagine. Now, let me ask you this. Is that also under God's sovereignty? Yes. See, that's a hard thing to come to grips with. It's hard to come to grips with. But we can't really say anything else. Did, did God make her do Absolutely not. That ridiculous to even think such a thing. But he knew it was going to happen. He's big enough, powerful enough to keep it from happening. So he must have allowed it, even if it was judgment on whatever. You know, the worst thing the worst thing for a little baby is to grow up and die without Jesus. It's not just to die, you know, because to, you know, I talked about that when we talked about things in the Old Testament where the Israelites came and just wiped out everybody in certain cities. Um, people say, well, what about the little babies that the Israelites wiped out? Well, the worst thing that could have happened for, and this is hard to say, it's hard to come to grips with. The worst thing that have happened is them little babies grow up and live in a pagan society and be pagans. Uh, far better to go on to go to heaven and, and and be with Christ. And those are hard. Those are hard truths to come up with. And I know that's really not the point of what Paul is trying to do here. But it, it really hits to the things that are going on when you when you look at God. He he says without apology here to these men who have never heard of this God he's talking about. 
and they pray to all these other little gods, he, he hits them right on the head saying, my God, this God I'm preaching to you is in control of all things. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without his permission. Uh, all the hairs of your head are numbered. He knows everything's going to happen. He, uh, he is working all things for your good, even when you can't see it. And sometimes when you have when you have a week like we had this week, it's hard to see that. I mean, it's hard to see that. It's hard to uh, it's hard to come to grips with that. And I would never. I can tell all this to y'all because we're, you know, we need to be prepared for it when it comes. Like if I was at the hospital and some, you know, they brought they have brought, you know tragedies things happen a lady got murdered in Jackson not too long ago and had to deal with her family and uh, I would never I would never bust off into the emergency room and say well God's working for your good so don't worry about it. I mean you would never do that that you just suffer with those who suffer and you weep with those who weep and you mourn with those who mourn but as we're here learning, we need to be prepared. You ever met, I mean, I've met people also that have gone through horrible things, but right in the midst of it, they could say, I know God is still God and he has a purpose in all these things. You see, they were, they were built on a foundation. They were, you know, does that make sense? So, no, go ahead. It is showed through scripture, and I can't help but think that that is exactly what God is moving and doing now. From the middle of Genesis through, whenever tragedy happened, whenever government or people tried to take over and do their own thing and move God out of the way, that's when the true church grew. Mm-hmm. That's when God's people stood up, and that's also when the church itself grew. More people came to know Christ during those moments. And that, to me, is the greater good. You know, God works all things together for the good. Well, His church growing is the greater good. Mm-hmm. You know, so the families of that police officer, the, the families of this woman who did this to her children... You know, God very well may allow that to happen so that people come to know Him. Sure, sure. I don't don't doubt that at all. Some people may disagree with me, but if that's the purpose of people coming to know them, was it worth it? Knowing my life, yeah. 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 This life is a vapor. We're all going to die. How we die is not for us to determine. Yeah. You know, we're... But life eternal is what awaits us one way or another, either in heaven or in hell. That's eternal life. Right, right. And, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And God didn't make us for His benefit. He created us for our benefit to come to Him. Yeah, He created us for His glory, right. not for us to be happy. Right. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. Yes, ma'am. God's getting so tired of being rejected and that kind of thing, you come and change us over ourselves. And, you know, seeing people in Dallas and, and all these things, that day has surely brought some people closer to God in, in that way. Because when you see that 
what humanity is really like. Yeah. You're seeking something. You're seeking comfort and you're seeking the light. Yeah. Father, I mean, we always adopt this, but we, we seek light, we seek truth, light. And a lot of those questions are, is God, why did this happen? And that's the first question to, to get them to know. Yeah. Uh, that's right. I agree with that, too. And... We need to make sure we realize also that God is restraining it. Billy, you want to say that? I'm sorry, I didn't see you here. Yeah, you know, I work a lot of this stuff, and all. you know, when God still lets all of us and all people make the choices that they want to choose, you know? Yeah. So when good things happen and bad things happen, then people made that choice their own self, you know? Yeah. It ain't got nothing to do with it. Why God wants them to do or not do, you know, it's it, their freedom, you know. If you want to stay saved, if you want to become saved, it's your choice, you know. He's not going to make us do one thing or another, you know. I mean, He's going to give us guidance and He's going to punish us. And mm-hmm. If you do something wrong once you say, you don't think about it, you know. It's a consequence of pain. Right. You know? If you're out there lost, then. You, you really, you know, back when I was off, I didn't think that's a bad idea. No, I didn't either. Yeah, I don't... It, it's, it isn't helpful. That's why I'm very careful with my language because it's not helpful to say we know that God we know that God is sovereign and we know that He is in control. But it's not helpful, it, it's not helpful or correct to say that God made somebody do whatever. Um, that's why I'm careful to always say you know why did why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow this guy to do what he did? And you could say, well, the dude just did what he did because he wanted to, but uh, the dude really affected the lives of other people as well. So you know, somebody's somebody's freedom's getting trampled right there. You know, by this guy's decision. And so, what I wanted to say before that, though, was God is actually restraining evil in our world. You, you've heard that, you've heard, you even heard Brother Eddie talk about, you know, in sermons where, you know, if God's hand of restraint was taken off, that, that you know, it's just going to be. And, and so every now and again, it's not God making, God did not put a gun to dude's head in Dallas and say, I want you, to, I mean, that's ridiculous. But it's almost like you can see God's hand in judgment. He'll lift, lift that finger of restraint and, and watch what, how evil man can be. Like this lady in Memphis. I mean, how, how evil is that? That's just, I mean, it's almost, you can say it was satanic. You know, just, you just can't get no more evil. Uh, but the reality is, if you and I, the, what I want to show you, what I want you to see is, that it's only by the grace of God that you aren't that person. Mm-hmm. Me, I, I mean, you want, you see that and you want to say, I would never. What in the world would cause a mother to do something like that? It's just, and you're right to do that. I mean, I don't, I can't think of even, I can't think of nothing more evil than that. That's just right out of the pit of hell for sure. But if it were, if it were not for the grace of God, even even for lost people, I mean, most lost people don't kill their kids. You know, most lost people don't display that kind of evil. 
And the only reason it doesn't happen every day is because God's hand of restraint, because of the church that's salt and light, because Christ who's salt and light in the earth, He's preserving. So those are real complex issues, real complex and real, you know, I I mean, probably not going to get them solved here today, but it's something that you need to be thinking about because... I don't want to, I'm scared to live in a world where God doesn't have control. You know what I mean? If if a tornado can hit my house tomorrow and God be sitting up there going, I didn't see that coming. I'd be terrified to live in that world. You understand? I, I don't want to live in that world. I'd rather wrestle with this idea of, uh, not that it matters what I want, but I, all that matters is what's true. But... I would rather wrestle with the idea, God, why in the world would you let a tornado hit my house? I mean, what have I done? You know, you wrestle with those things and you, you know, you think about those things. But ultimately, if God were not in control, man, this world would be a whole lot scarier than it is. That makes sense. I'm just kind of rambling. I'm not really even teaching you what's here in Acts chapter 17. Yeah, we talked about... You've said several times, you know, that the church would rise after persecution. Yes. And I was studying last night, and the word challenge kept coming to mind when I was studying. If we don't have persecution, you know, persecution come among us or to us, then are we challenged at all to be Christians? You know, because that's what brings that out in us. Yeah. You know, if these bad things don't happen... What are we going to show? What do we have to do? We can't love. We don't love because we don't do it every day. Yeah. On a daily basis. We only do it when things go wrong. Right. We don't pray when everything's going good. You know, we only do it when we need or when we want something. That's true. I mean, our characteristics as a Christian don't show unless we are going through something. Yeah. Our fruits aren't, don't shine. And it shouldn't be that way, should it? No, and I think a lot of this... What he's trying to show them in his sermon is, you know, you can do all this stuff, but you have no fruit with all these gods. Yeah. You know, you don't show anything. All you want is want, 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 want. Yeah. You know, there's no belief, there's no faith, there's no trust, there's no, you know, no compassion, none of that. It's all about me. Yeah, they were working. They were working for. They were working to please the gods, so the god would work for them. Right. So if God treated us like that, and we call ourselves Christians, what kind of Christians are we? Yeah. You know. That's a pretty good like point. Just like the lost out there. Yeah. That don't care. That don't have any fruit. They, you know. But the only thing that makes us rise up and be known, like, you know, even in this Dallas thing, I'd have never known that mayor was a man of faith. At least that's what he said. And I don't know what religion he is. Yeah. Obviously, he was strong enough to stand up and say, I am a man of faith and I want my country to pray for us. Yeah. You know, if he wasn't, if he wasn't put in that in that position, he would have never known that. Yeah. That's right. And you're right. You never known, you would never know all these people that rise up and say, you know, we need to pray and we need to do this and we need to do that. They wouldn't do any of that if none of this persecution or crime or bad things happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I thought the first thing that came to my mind was, I wonder how many people that live in his live in his city because he is the mayor knew that he was a man of faith. Yeah. How many knew that? 
I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't see it. I hadn't watched a whole lot of the news about the whole deal. So, yeah, even in, in my little setting, in your little setting, people around you could see that. You know, do they see you as a Christian? Or do they see you acting like that? Yeah. What they really see is what how you're not supposed to act. <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? That's the truth. I mean, we see all this crime, and we're focused on all this crime and killing and all this bad stuff. When over here, God's raising up a generation that's praying, mm-hmm. you know, that's standing up, that's coming out, that's coming out from among them. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of where you're going at when you say a church has risen after persecution. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, I think it was Tertullian who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm-hmm. It's how the church what grows. The situation. <clears throat> Dallas and this lady were talking about. What bothers me. Is, in Dallas, there was nobody in their life growing up in faith that they could turn to and maybe talk to them. You know, I had a guy call me one time sitting on tailgate. I don't know where he was, but he had a gun to his head. He didn't compute that. And I talked to him for about an hour. The last word said, I'll see someone about wrong. But I felt at least... He felt good enough about me that he was called. These people, undoubtedly, there was nobody in their life that they felt comfortable enough with to call and say, hey, I'm going to do something. Or we done got to the people where we're not concerned about other people. You know, you know sometimes I get a telephone call, man, this is over such and such. I don't take that phone call. That's my problem. That person might have needed me. You know? Yeah. And I feel like that, and I'm just saying me, that I've gotten to a place that I'm not stopping thinking of other people. Yeah. You know, that these people needed somebody strong enough in faith that they could call and loved on and maybe could stop them. Yeah. You know, but God... We said God will chastise you on certain things. Yeah. And He allows things to happen in our life so that we can grow. So these families are going to have to instead of just look on the downside, we're going to have to look at something and grow. It's hard, but we have to grow from stuff like this. Yeah. And we have examples. I mean, Leon and Glodine's son was... We have a lot of people that have lost. It's a little different. It's not different, but it's a little different when somebody murders somebody. You know, Leon and Glodine's son was murdered. I mean, shot. And so they had to come to grips with all this. You know, it was just some senseless guy. You know, it's almost like there's no reason for it. And so we have examples around us of people who have gone through things like this and have come out the other side, faith intact, trusting in Christ, trusting in God. And I work with their other son, Mm -hmm. and he's just like they are. Is he? Yes. Well, good, good. So there... Really, we kind of got off what Paul's saying here, but I think it's been helpful. It's a good conversation to have, something we need to have 
uh, something a lot of people in a lot of churches this week are probably having. But uh, the next line that he says here was that God doesn't need your temples. He doesn't live in your temples and he doesn't need the work of your hands. These these folks, these pagans, they were they would serve God in order to get from God as if they were buying off God. They would bring a sacrifice, they would bring an offering to these temples. You can read about it in all kind of different histories. They'd go to the temple of Zeus or the temple of whoever and they would offer a sacrifice, they would offer a payment, they would offer a whatever. And the reason they did that was to get something. I'm going to go offer a sacrifice before I go on my sea journey so God will accept my sacrifice and keep me alive till I get to where I'm going. I'm going to go and offer to the God of harvest so that he would give me a good heart. The reason they were doing that was to give to God. Well, Paul tells them here that God, the true God, he doesn't need your works. He doesn't need you to serve him. Um, the point that he's making is that he allows us by grace to serve him. The sacrifices that we make today, um, sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of your bodies as a living sacrifice, those kind of things, and the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, the bulls and the goats, all of those pointed toward the true sacrifice, which is Christ, but they were a grace of God. They were not to pay God. We talked about that last week. So, a lot of times we live, going back to the, what we're talking about, the question that's always going to be on people's mind is, why did you let this happen to me? Why has this happened to me? Why has this done this? And we have a tendency, even as Christians, I can see it in my own heart, even if y'all can't, to say when something goes on, to say, now God, I, I've been pretty good to you. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I'm trying to be faithful. Why would you let this happen to me? We tend to say, you know, I don't think I deserve this, God, because I'm, I've been doing pretty good. You know, I've been offering you what you want, and I've been offering you what you... And Paul makes clear to them, he makes clear to us that God doesn't work that way. God doesn't, is not bribed. He's not offered anything as if he needed something from us. Uh, even I told you last week, even Psalm 50, I don't need your bulls and your goats. And you're not bringing me anything. They're already mine. They belong to me. I'm allowing you to bring them so that your sins can be covered. We have a tendency to think that God owes me because I have been so good, because I have done so right, and I'm not as bad as so-and-so down the road, when the reality is that we owe God. We, he don't owe us anything. Does that make sense? Any of y'all ever feel that way? I have lost my keys. Dana can attest to it. I have lost my car keys and walked through the house going, God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> that sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. <laughs> we have a tendency to do that. That's our sinful hearts. And I, to be honest, I can't promise you. That if tomorrow something really bad happens, that I'm not going to ask God why. I think when I'm with people at the hospital, that's the question. You know, it's always going to be the question. You know, I walk into a 
a, a mother who lost a 20 week old baby you know uh, it was you know stillborn at 20 weeks the question she's got is why and there's a question I, I ain't been able to answer yet and I probably won't never be able to answer I don't have no answer um, so I, we're going to ask the question it's going to be asked I can't promise you that I won't ask it but the reality is you need to understand before you even begin, before, before suffering ever comes on you, you need to understand that God don't owe you nothing. He don't owe you nothing. He don't owe me nothing. He could, if he could take every blessing from me. Now, I've been, I've been saved by Christ. So even when I, if I lose my life, I know that I will be with him for eternity. But he can take every material blessing. Let's put it that way. He could take every material blessing from me right now. And I probably would complain. But in reality, I wouldn't have no right to complain. And the thing about it is, is that he's proven that with Job. He told Job, he told Job exactly what you just said. At the end of Job, Job was like, oh, yeah. why did you do this to me? What have I done to he got, you? He got all up in Job's grill. But Job, what Job did too, he was bold as well. Because Job said, what did I do to you to yeah. make you turn around and do this to he me? He was God. bold until God showed up. Exactly. And then God was like, Psh, you're breathing. Yeah. I don't owe you anything. If you hadn't read that, you need to do, the last three chapters of Job are very instructive. Job, Job did good at the beginning. He did good halfway through. About three fourths of the way, Job got a little. He got a little. He got a little loose with that mouth. And God showed up and said, "Who you think you are, son? Where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I brought this? Where were you when I made the stars?" And Job's response was, "I put my hand over my mouth and I don't speak again." You know, that's what he said. Danny, you want to say something? I'm say just you know, being human like we are. The other day when the doctor told me, can't drive for six months. Or first thing. Hey, it, it slapped me in the face and he went out and I'm like, Lord. And it was like a piece come over. I got it. So I haven't worried about it other than the question of character. I'm going to drive. Carrie, you know good and well he's going to sneak and drive for six months over. But. Well, I told him yesterday, I said, enough's enough. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. You carry on and do what you think you're going to do. I'm not going to go through that. <laughs> and that's the thing he said. You've got to have that understanding. Yeah. God just, and, and he's done that so much in my life. The last few years, because I've questioned things. When Tim died, I questioned. Yeah. That's been one of my toughest things that I've dealt with. Finally, it's like Lord said, enough is enough. I've done it. It was my will. It's not your will. I run this thing, you don't. Yeah. I had to have faith enough to, to take his word and go on. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, trying to tell us is God's in control. That's right. You know, God made this earth, and, but you got to have faith. You can't just get mad enough to yeah. get mad at God and just turn away from him, man. That's stupid. You know, you there's a there's a peace in that in there. There's a peace in knowing I ain't in control. You you got you jump in that car three weeks from now and have a seizure going down the road. You gonna kill somebody? Right. I just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> I just thought I'd let you know. 
right. And the, thing, the last thing, Jason, is that, you know, in the spectrum of God, if you really stop to think about it, in the spectrum of God, you are really, 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 really small. Really small. And that's a problem in our own heads is that we think... The world revolves around us. Exactly. Yeah. Where, I mean, in the spectrum, when you... I mean, the... Ma- God spoke and like star shot out of his face. You know, we're really, really star really shot small. out of his face. <laughs> we're really, really small. Yeah. Go ahead, Tammy. I was going to say, I've, I've lived a lot of uh, tragedies and deaths, and each and every time I question God, and no matter something small or large, um, He would hush me up and give me peace. Uh, a lot of times in the Word of God, that's where I search. And this is in Isaiah 55, you already may know it, but it always helped me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, said the Lord. In other words, it's point blank with me, that's free. And that's free that you know, comparing my mind and my thoughts to his is, is, is just... Yeah. We don't even... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and we don't have the picture. I always liken it to a little baby getting shots. That's my, that's usually my go-to picture. Can you imagine the little baby looking at mama going, how could you turn me over to these people that are... But mama knows that it's... it's and God knows the stuff we don't know. God knows. Um, we just... We, pre- we need to... Uh, I guess we need to go. Yeah. The next part... I'm not going to go back into this text next time. But he says it's in God that we live, move, have our being. He's the one that gives us life. We don't have no reason to question him, no authority to question him. He says the times of ignorance God winked at, which means he overlooked. He said, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. The times of ignorance are over. He says we all men everywhere, no matter where you are, Athens, Corinth, you have to repent. You have to trust in Christ. And... Uh, and then he goes into Corinth in verse chapter 18. So we're going to pray. I didn't get I didn't even get I didn't get no further than I got last week. So but we will go into 18 next week. Yeah, it was something we needed to talk about. So it's anytime there's stuff goes on like this and we just need to stop and have a discussion biblically, uh, I want to do that. I want to be ready to do that. Okay? Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are in control and that even though we we don't understand nothing that's going on in the world, we don't understand why uh, wicked men do what wicked men do. We don't understand why you've uh, uh, shed your grace abroad in our hearts. Uh, We don't understand how we can deal with... um, things that may or may not happen. Lord, all we can do is fall upon you and trust in you. All we can do is just uh, put all our hope in you and uh, know that you have a purpose that you're working out and trust that it's a good plan for us. Even if uh, even if you call us to be faithful to death, which you did call some believers to do, uh, you call all of us to do, but you specifically called some to do in the letters to the church in, in Revelation. Uh, we we want to be faithful to death so that we can be with you eternally where there won't be any more of this sin. There won't be any more killings. There won't be any more uh, hate. There won't be any more uh, death and sickness and dying and parting we can live together with you forever uh, we're looking forward to that day and we thank you in jesus name amen